A horrible crime happens in one of the most innocent locations. And then we travel to Lone Mountain in California. From ghostly reenactments to horrific creatures attacking humans. What mysteries does this mountain hold? We'll explore them today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. The surliness is over. If you listen to yesterday's episode, was my surly episode. I ended up taking a walk, taking a shower, and going to bed really early yesterday. So I got a lot of sleep, but man, I was just having a headache. And I figured I would do the most headache-inducing stories, just pack them into that episode. But, some bad news. So a couple episodes ago, I said... I don't think I'm going to take a break after the end of season five. I think I have a pretty good system. That's not true. It was true at the time. You know, it's funny because the show is really just me. And for the first four seasons, I would go about 50, 55 episodes and I would take a week long break. And I I felt like maybe that was some artificial boundary that I had set up. But it's weird. That actually, I think, is my limit. 50 episodes, 50 some odd episodes in a row, I do have to take a week long break. It really just starts, I think, to impact my mental health. I just need a a break from the recording process. I still do some research during my week off, but I mostly just recover. So yes, it wasn't my plan. I was thinking the other day, maybe I'll take a break after 100 episodes, but no. I'm going to take a break, so Friday will be the last episode, and then I'm going to take a week off, and then we'll be back. April 22nd is when the show will come back. April 22nd, so I'm going to take a week off. Just to recover mentally. And stuff like that. I really enjoy doing the show, but after after ten weeks in a row, it does start to kind of kind of wear me down. So, <clears throat> one thing I've noticed too, and this may not be universal across all the endings of the seasons, but I notice as the season goes on, the stories tend to get a little darker. And I haven't really figured out the mechanism of why I do that. I think it's important for for people. To look at things they do, patterns they do in life, and try to figure out why they do those certain type of patterns. I'm, I'm really, I really try to be aware of the patterns in my life and whether or not they're good patterns or bad patterns. But one thing I've picked up on is as the seasons progress, the stories tend to get darker and darker. And today's first story is no exception. I also normally end my shows with the darker story, but I'm going to try this. I kind of like leaving on a bit of a lighter note. So we're going to switch it up. We're going to do the dark story in the beginning. If it gets too much for you, you can just fast forward to the lighter story that just involves many, many people getting slaughtered. This story is more gruesome because it's more recent and other factors. Let's go ahead and just get started with the story here. The year is 1977, and we are in the state of Oklahoma at a little Girl Scout camp. Camp Scott. Bunch of little Girl Scouts running around, merit badges, Dreaming of the day when they will be able to sell their Girl Scout cookies and make a lot of money for their troop. And do other stuff. I'm not really for sure what the Girl Scouts do. I'm pretty sure they make fires and like play with knives and stuff like the Boy Scouts. But they also do like sewing and uh, I guess guys do sewing too. Otherwise, how do they get their patches on? That's what they're called, right? Patches or is there a special badges? Badge at merit badge? Yeah, it's a badge. Anyways, that's probably the only bit of levity you'll get during this segment. So I hope you enjoyed it. The year's 1977. It's June 12th. It's a cold summer morning. A huge storm hit the previous night. And the Girl Scouts all had their tents. They weathered it like good little troopers. Because that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be able to weather the outdoors. It helps build character. A camp counselor wakes up before anyone else. And she decides to make her way down to the shower area. And as she's walking along a trail, leaving her camp, she notices something odd in the trail in front of her. It's a camper's sleeping bag. 
just laying there in the middle of the trail. Now, she had already had to walk, not a huge distance, but she had already left the camp. And now she sees a sleeping bag in the middle of the trail. She looks a little further up, and there's another sleeping bag in the middle of the trail. And past that, another sleeping bag in the middle of the trail. And she notices that each sleeping bag seems to still have somebody in them. Earlier that year in April, they were doing a training session for the counselors at the Girl Scout camp. Everyone's getting ready for the summer. They're like, hey, these are the activities we're going to do. Here's the layout of the camp. This is how everything's run. And the camp counselor, you know, you figure they're like teenage girls, young women. They start to notice personal items missing. Now, at first, you're going to think your hairbrush is missing, your little Walkman. They didn't have Walkmans back there. Your little AM, FM, handheld radio, height of technology for 1977 goes missing. And you're going to suspect the other girls. You're going to suspect one of the other girls that you don't know that well might have taken your brush or taken your radio, taken your Danny Bonaducci poster off the wall. And then they find, I believe it was this box of donuts that they had previously bought. The donuts didn't magically appear. But inside the box there was a note, and it said, it was a very detailed note, and the full details haven't been released to the public, but it said, we are on a mission to kill three girls in tent one. And then it went on to talk about, like, aliens and stuff like that. So the camp counselors regarded it as a prank, as a hoax. Again, one of the other girls must have done this. They're stealing stuff. They leave this note, haha, real funny, uh, unnerves them a bit, but they go about their day. But now we're going back to June, June 11th, the day before the sleeping bags are found. They have these tents set up in this little camp area, and there's a big storm coming. So they're like, okay, everyone, you got to get to your tents. Let's do this chop chop, get to your tents, because otherwise you're going to get super rained on, and you're going to get pneumonia and all this stuff, and we'll be liable for it. Go, 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 go. You're burning daylight. Tent 8 was the farthest tent away from the camp. So they had them kind of grouped together, but for whatever reason, tent eight was farther away. And each tent held four girls. And one girl, she was, you know, dilly-dallying so long, the storm hit, and she couldn't make it to tent eight. She couldn't go through the storm. So someone says, okay, fine, use our tent, just crawl in, Yeah, they're all crowded into this tent. You got five people in one tent, and three in tent eight. At 1.30 in the morning, Huge storm, downpour, but even over the sounds of the storm, at 1.30 in the morning, a couple of the girls wake up and they hear the sound of what they described as moaning coming from the area around Tent 8. Hey, wake up, wake up, wake up. Wake up their camp counselor. I think there's something going on. I think there's something going on at Tent 8. Counselor gets out of her tent. Another counselor gets out of her tent, and they're like, "Did you? Yeah, I, I, people are saying that they're hearing something from over there." So the counselors are standing there, and they're like, "Let's go check that out." Big storm still raging, but it's their job, and they start to get towards the tent. They don't look in it, but they can't identify the sound of the noise that they heard previously. They're by the tent. They're looking around. They don't see anything amiss. They're getting horribly drenched in this rainstorm, so they just go back to their tent. Figured it was nothing. or You know, it was no big deal. It was just a storm. You're probably hearing the noises of trees and all that stuff. Active imaginations of schoolgirls. You can brush it off as that. At 2 a.m., the girls who are sleeping in tent 7 say that someone opened up their tent and shone a flashlight into their tent, looked around, startling the girls. But then the tent flap closes again. The flashlight moves on. Rain continues to drop on their tent. Must have been a camp counselor. They go back to sleep. 3 a.m. 
A few girls are woken up in their tents by the sound of screaming coming from tent 8. But they're too scared to make the report. They're too scared to even leave their tent, plug their ears, hope it was a nightmare, go back to sleep. The next morning at 6 a.m., the camp counselor is walking to the showers, finds this three sleeping bags. Inside each of those sleeping bags is the body of a young girl, dragged from tent 8 and left on the trail where they would be found. Those are known as the Girl Scout murders. Three young girls killed in the middle of the night, left out in public. They were assaulted before they were killed. And based on what witnesses are saying they heard, overall it must have taken at least two hours, minimum. Police rush into the area after they find this out. The camp is shut down, it's evacuated. They begin going through every single piece of clue, interviewing everyone, and no one is without suspicion. Ten days later, though, the cops find some items in a nearby cave out in this campground. They find some, like, duct tape. They find a flashlight wrapped in newspaper. And they find a lot of photographers from a man named Gene Leroy Hart. Now, Gene Leroy Hart was already being hunted by the police. Because in 1973... He had kidnapped two pregnant women and assaulted one of them. And really, when I'm assaulted, he's sexually assaulting these people. These That crime matched what was going on here. He didn't kill the pregnant women, but he, the young girls were also sexually assaulted. And because the crimes seemed similar between what happened to the young girls, and I don't want to go into detail what happened to the young girls. I think you can imagine. But what happened to the young girls and what happened to these pregnant women, they found photographs that he had developed that they knew that he had took in this cave, he was their number one suspect. They are able to track him down, finally after four years. The heat is on him even more for these three assaults and murders of these Girl Scouts. But when he is brought to trial for this charge, he is acquitted. He's not. A, they are not able to definitely prove that he committed this crime. However, for the original kidnapping, rape, and escape, he ended up getting 305 years in prison. So if he is responsible, he's in there anyways. In 1989, though, we had two new updates to this case. One, they did some DNA tests. And the DNA tests came back that there was more than one killer in that tent with those three girls. One of them might have possibly been a woman. They can't rule that out. And they can't even, with the DNA, rule out Hart either, but they can't prove that he was in the tent either. Also in 1989, a reverend came forward and said, "I I think I might know who did it. But I don't feel comfortable saying the names because I could get sued. But he then tells the story that he was counseling these four young men. And then one night he was driving down the road and one of the men was on the side of the road and he helped him with his car. This kind of this convoluted story. And then the guy said, hey, you want to see something? And then they went into the woods and the reverend went into the tent and he saw two men he knew and two men he didn't know basically cleaning up the crime scene. Who knows? Who knows with that? They, the police talked to him, and really that story kind of went nowhere either. This is an unsolved case. The idea that you send your daughter off to a Girl Scout camp, I can't think of anything more innocent and sweet than that. She's going to go off and play with her friends and learn about nature, get her little merit badges, and then come home with a big beaming smile on her face and get to live the rest of her life. With pride in her heart, knowing that she is now a Girl Scout with 
these badges to prove her success in these events. But instead of that future, these three girls' lives were cut short. And the most chilling part of it all is that it's very likely that the perpetrators of this crime, their life kept going on, beaming with pride and joy of what they got to experience at Camp Scott. Dark stories. Dark stories. Okay, but let's go ahead and move on to a lighter story here. Let's end it with a light note, because I did not want that story to be the end of the episode. Let's hop on the carpenter copter, guys. Let's put some levity. We're going to put on some nice tunes as we're flying around. Flying around. We're going to go over. We're going to fly over Disneyland. We're going to fly over some happy spots. We're going to fly through clouds, too, because that's awfully fun. On purpose, we're going to fly through clouds. And once we start getting the ickiness of that last story out of us, we are going to Lone Pine Mountain. It used to be called Twin Pines Mountains until Marty McFly drove his car through one of the trees. Lone Pine Mountain is down in California. And it's a mountain. It's a populated area. Not like super populated. There's not like a mega city around it. But, you know, there's like houses and stuff. It's not really in the middle of nowhere. But it used to be. Definitely used to be. When the Native Americans were here and then the settlers rolled through. And we'll get to their stories in a second. But first off, the way I found out about Lone Pine Mountain was there was a particular ghost story that I'd heard about it. In the 1960s, so you have Lone Pine and Whitney Portal Road. Which, if you want a place to be haunted, name your road Portal. Why would you do that? You're basically just asking ghosts to be like, oh, a portal? And they'll walk through it. That'd be like having a place called Void Street or Abyss Avenue. Don't do that. Don't name streets weird stuff. Because weird stuff's going to happen. Lone Pine and Whitney Portal Road. There's this woman sitting at home late at night. It's 1960s, she's watching I Love Lucy, reading TV Guide, smoking a cigarette. Curlers in her hair. She's sitting there, and she hears gunfire. (laughs) Totally freaks her out. Of course it's going to freak you out. There's gunfire right outside your house. And she peeks out her window, and what she sees is a black man dressed as a Native American Indian. And she goes, that's weird, the village people aren't supposed to come to town until next month. A black man dressed as a Native American, and then a bunch of other natives behind him. And he's like, come on, boys! And they're basically attacking her house. And she sees really what she's looking at. And she almost can immediately identify them as not real people. They are ghosts. So I don't know if they were kind of translucent, or they didn't have legs. They just had that little curly cute tail like Casper does. Wait, no, Casper had legs. Who's the ghost with the little... Oh, like they're basically like Slimers. Like they don't have legs. She doesn't say about how much slime they left behind, but she does say that these ghosts are opening fire on her house. And it goes on for nearly 15 minutes as they're laying siege to her house. They're reloading. They're taking time. They're actually, like, setting up tents. One guy's, like, cooking food for after the battle. It goes on for quite a while. And then eventually, it just ends. Now, you may chocolate it up to a little too much wine that night. Did they? Did women drink wine back in the 50s? I always imagine they drink, just drink whiskey. I think women drinking wine is a very recent thing. And I've learned as I get older, a lot of women drink wine. All the time. A lot. A lot of wine all the time. But anyways, not judging. I just think it's weird. Did, did my, did, I know my mom, she doesn't drink alcohol, but like when I was a kid, did my friend's parents drink wine all the time? Like, a lot of wine? Because trust me, yeah, at this age, 
they all drink wine. So, you'll learn that too. If you don't know that yet, your mom probably drinks a lot of wine. Not Again, not judging, but... Anyway, so, let's say that she was drinking just whiskey straight. Now, you could imagine it was just like an alcohol-induced thing, or it was actual ghosts. It's most likely that it was ghosts because when after this all happened, she started telling people about it. When people came out and looked at her house, like old property lines there, you could see bullet holes from the direction where the natives were shooting from. Now, it's not like her house was Swiss cheese and had a bunch of bullets in it, but like the fence posts and stuff like that that was older would have... Wait, that's... Okay, now I'm calling BS on that because who has a fence post from pre-Civil War still in their house in the 1960s? I don't know about that. Maybe they found some bullet holes in a tree and it's just been sexed up to make it sound like there's bullet holes in her house because it said bullet holes in her property. Hmm, I'm a little suspicious of that detail because I think most of that stuff wouldn't last very long. But anyway, so there were reports too of conflicts between natives and settlers in that area. I think it's interesting that you did have the black dude leading them, but it would kind of make sense at the same time because if he was either a veteran from the Civil War, it would be more likely that he was a veteran from the Civil War who headed west and maybe just had a beef to pick with all the people out there, joined a native tribe, you know, and let him. I mean, that's kind of a cool story. It's lost to history, whatever it is. If this ghost sighting's real, his story and that tribe story and that final standoff, that's all been completely lost to history. It's also possible that what she saw was a time slip where they weren't necessarily ghosts because that's a long time for ghost activity, 15 minutes. It's possible that what she was seeing was either a recording like a psychic recording of an event that happened there before, or she was actually looking into the past and seeing that. Which makes me wonder that if in 2019, if you lived in a house across the street from that woman's house, and you looked out your window one night, would you see her from the 1960s staring in fear at nothing in her front yard? Portal Road, don't name places Portal Road, because you will see stuff back in time, or Slimers, or all sorts of nonsense. But we're not done with Lone Pine Mountain, because I talked a little bit about the settlers earlier. That story is nothing. I think that story is interesting, but that story is really nothing as far as where we're going now. In 1878, a bunch of settlers were traveling through the area. They're a little late for the gold rush, but, you know, late's better than never. Father Justice Martinez is traveling. It's a Spanish caravan of settlers. And they end up setting up camp for a night. Now, Father Justice kept this, which is a pretty badass name, honestly, but Father Justice kept this, actually, I think it'd be Father Martinez, but Father Justice is better. Justice was writing this log, writing this journal, is what they're normally called, and he's writing in his journal one night. Now, this night, the settlers were so happy they almost had their journey's end. They said, let's have a party. And someone else said, no. No, 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 a party? Mm -mm -mm. We're almost at our long journey's end. Let's have an orgy of destruction. So they begin chopping down trees and setting them all on fire, creating this huge bonfire. Now, orgy wasn't just a word I came up with. It was actually a word that was in Father Justice's journal. I don't think it was a sexual orgy because there was a bunch of kids there too. I think it was just this. I think the word orgy was just like an out-of-control party. But as this party started raging on and the fire got bigger and bigger, Father Justice got a little scared of the events and retreated to his tent. Father Justice is found wandering around Lone Pine Mountain, dehydrated and starving. 
He's found by another group of settlers. And they're like, yo, dude, what's the matter? He's like, uh, water. Water. Collapses. Like, That's weird. Maybe he needs some water. I don't know. He'd Actually, he'd be, agua. Agua. And collapse. But anyways, for historical accuracy, that's what he said. When he comes to, though, when he does regain his senses, they go, what are you, why, why are we just wandering around on the mountain by yourself, priest? And he's like, Padre is what I'm normally called, but I wasn't with myself. I'm never with myself. Jesus always walks alongside me. No, he goes, I wasn't by myself. I was came with a bunch of settlers. And they're like, well, where are they? Should we go look for them? And he's like, no, don't go, uh, don't go look for them. Don't go look for them. In his journal, this is what he said happened. And this is what he told people. Party got bigger and bigger and bigger. He retreated to his tent and he closed the flaps. And at that point, he began to hear horrible shrieking from outside of his tent. I didn't realize this this story both involves people in tents. I didn't realize that until I started getting to the segment. He hears this (laughs) horrible... Sound (laughs) coming down... Coming down, and from inside of his tent, in a very dramatic fashion, he sees these silhouettes against the flames of the fire, these large shadow creatures, with bat-like wings, sweeping down into the camp, and tearing the people to pieces. People are screaming. These creatures are moving through the campground looking for their next meal. (laughs) Ripping limbs from bodies. Multiple monsters are here. Not like the Wolfman and the Mummy, but I mean, there's a bunch of winged demons. It's not just like one or two. It's a good-sized amount, eating them up. (laughs) He wrote in his journal, My God, my God, they are all gone. The winged demons have risen. What sin have they committed against each other in thy sacred earth? May thy forgiving Lord not abandon their souls which were taken from them into the depths of hell, and through the earthly fires of man a soul tree remained on the mountain's peak, and the devils that spared me returned to the refuge of the lone pine on the mountain. There are cases today, people say, we'll get to this in a second, but there are cases even today where people go missing, and you have travelers, entire families, prospectors, who go missing, and when they are eventually finally found, their face is eaten off, their torso is eaten to pieces, but all the other meat there is left to rot. So normally predators will go for like soft tissue, like meaty thighs and juicy biceps. These ones are just eating your torso like right to the bone, but leaving your belly full of those tasty intestines. I've heard. I haven't tried it myself. Or they'll just eat your face off and leave your skeleton, like a, ske- a glaring skeleton face staring up at the sun as it bleaches your bones. There have been no photographs of what they're called. They're called the Lone Pine Devils. There have been no photographs of these creatures or cryptids or demons. But many, many stories of sightings of them from back in times of the natives to the story of Father Justice to today. People seeing these winged creatures. Now... It's an interesting story. It really relies on one thing. The story of Father Justice Martinez. And again, this is something that I've run into a lot. I've seen that story and that last journal entry repeated over and over and over again on these websites. 
but there's no proof that he ever existed. Like, I wasn't able to find any other excerpts from him. He might have, but normally you would see other excerpts from, you would see other websites kind of cover it from a different angle and say, Father Martinez was born here, and this is where he was coming from. They'd give more information, but they were all repeating the same details. His name, the year it happened, the fact that he was found parched, and his journal entry. I think it's most likely a legend, because I can understand people having a big bonfire, but to burn every tree on a mountain except for one, it takes. I don't think you can even do that in Minecraft. You know how long it takes to chop down every single tree on a mountain? It's not like there was just four trees and they chopped down three of them. They had a, such a huge bonfire that they chopped them all down. That's Paul Bunyan-level legend stuff. And the reason why it's called Lone Pine Mountain is because they chopped down all the trees on the mountain except for the one at the top. I mean, that's just, what were they doing? Like, was the camp at the bottom and they were just letting the logs roll down towards the camp and everyone was just having to jump out of the way? What I think happened, it was a legend that was created to explain why there was only one tree on that mountain. That all being said, I think that there probably, if there is something like a lone mountain devil, if it is a real type of creature, it would be an interesting sort of cryptid. We run into these from time to time. We covered one when we were talking about the South American shape-shifting women, that episode, where you have a cryptid that is dedicated to protecting the environment. More specifically, their environment. But it kind of is an interesting angle. We, as humans, tend to overdevelop land. And we push into, like, cougar territory. We start building houses there. And then we build, like, running trails and parks and stuff like that. And then five, six years after they start doing all this stuff, everyone freaks out when there's a cougar walking through the neighborhood. And they're like, oh my god, this has never happened. Yeah, because the neighborhood wasn't there before. And because you keep pushing further and further into cougar territory, it's going to start coming into yours. I think it's interesting, though, that there could be a cryptid or a spirit. Because the Native Americans were always really like, hey, don't go up on that mountain, dude. Don't build a house up there. Bad stuff's going to happen. I think it's interesting when you have these forces of nature that fight back. In Iceland, there's this big thing that before they do roadworks, they have to talk to the elves. That That's a bit of an oversimplification. It's not before they like do any... They're like, I oh, man, I really want to paint this crosswalk. Better go talk to an elf. But they've tried building highways, and there is this giant rock there. And they could all their construction equipment kept breaking as they were trying to build this freeway. They wanted to build it like through the rock, and not through the rock, but like around the rock or move the rock, and all their construction equipment kept breaking. And the government was like, dude, get it get a get a elf expert over there, and they'll tell you how many elves live in that rock, and we'll find out. And they ended up diverting the highway because there's too many elves in the rock. It's it's very well known in Iceland that you don't go to these certain places because the elves are just gonna jack up all your equipment. You don't want a jackhammer to malfunction. That's one of the, or, or a bulldozer or anything capable of crushing a human. You, you, if your choice is make a deal with the elves and move your freeway or just keep trying to use that jackhammer, make a deal with the elves. And it's very well known in Iceland that, yeah, elves are going to interfere with stuff. So you got, it's, it's, it's bizarre. Those are elves and they're just messing up your jackhammer. These creatures, if they exist, the lone pine demons, gave no warning. Nothing malfunctioned. Your hatchet didn't stop working. Your cauldron didn't get a hole in it. They just sat there and watched humanity keep pushing and pushing and pushing 
the limits of how much they could destroy nature in a single night. And once the Lone Pine Demons realized there was no stop, there was no limit to what these humans would do, without warning, they simply ate them. Men, women, and children. The only one they spared was the one who did not take part in the destruction of the environment. It's insane to think that you burn down a few trees and it costs the lives of 38 people within minutes. And then you look at the environmental damage that's being done by every community across the planet on any given day. What would be our fate if there are some great cryptid, some great spirit protectors watching over us, waiting to see what our limit is? Climate change, global warming, hole in the ozone layer, these things could be small and minimal compared to the wrath of an army of spirits, an army of cryptids, an army of demons that have one goal, to protect Mother Earth. How long would we last? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.